0: Three wins on the spin, back-to-back clean sheets and through to the fifth round of the FA Cup with a 1-0 win at Wolves. How quickly the mood has changed at Norwich City. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell to look back on that victory at Molyneux in the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Boys, how are we doing? Pad, if I come to you first, we, we are recording the pod Monday morning instead of Sunday because of the FA Cup draw and we had to wait for the Liverpool Cardiff game to finish, didn't we? But uh, just how excited are you to go to Anfield twice in uh, less than two weeks?
1: <laughs> no, that's not the word I'll be using. <laughs> uh, annoyance is a better word, I think. I'm uh, <laughs> raging. And uh, this is uh, this is poor, poor us, poor, poor media types getting to go and watch these games and uh, not have to deal with uh, the financial element of what is involved and also the time off as well for any actual fan. But uh, because we spent so many hours in a car, miles on the road, the prospect of two trips because obviously they're there in the league, um, I think probably only about 10 or 11, I know as we record, the the, the actual day for the tie hasn't been set yet. But I, I did see last night that um, they're in the actual, the Sunday before, they're in the League Cup final, aren't they? They're at Wembley against Chelsea, yeah. which you would think, would rule out the, Tuesday, the following Tuesday. So I think Wednesday, March, the 2nd subject to confirmation is looking likely. And if that's the case, then that is, uh, yeah, uh, two trips, two long trips to Liverpool in the space of 10, or 11 days. and With Southampton in between. <laughs> is that right? I, did, I wasn't, I didn't really, you made my mood even worse. Uh, that was, that was uh, the plan. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, we, uh, we can't wait to, to get our teeth into that. But, Parking, all of that and the self-indulgence of that element um, as a draw, it's oh, it's as tough as you could get. Maybe Man City away is the exception. And, uh, you know, I watched bits and pieces of that Cardiff game and they've got the the guy whose name escapes me now. Uh, they brought in in January, the Portuguese lad, is it? Luis, something or other, attacking wide players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah do your research. And then, and then the young lad who's come back from injury who scored, Harvey Elliott, is it? Yeah, um, right and, and you're seeing Trent Alexander Arnold on there, and then of course later on Sunday evening, Mo Salah goes up against Sadio Mane in the final of the African Nations, and both of those are not even inv- I- I- available at the minute. So, so <laughs> um, but will be when Norwich roll into town. So, uh, yeah, difficult, difficult as it as it comes really, and as Dean Smith said, you know, after the immediately after the game on Saturday after beating Wolves and was asked about the draw, anyone at home really, um, because you know they've now gone to Charlton, they've gone to Wolves, and unfortunately his prayers haven't been answered, and they're gonna go on the road again and possibly as tough a destination as, as you could find. So you know, I think we all know that the probability of them getting through is not overly high. But um but hey, you know, they'll go there and I guess ultimately Dean Smith won't publicly admit it, but but of the two trips, if they could come back down the road with a point or even three but out of the FA Cup, I think we'd all sign for that now. But, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, absolutely horrendous. If I had, no, I probably shouldn't say If I had a cat, I'd be kicking the cat. But, but obviously, I'm, I'm not into animal cruelty in any way, shape or form. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a, a disastrous turn of events when that... Who did the draw, actually, now? I forget Andy now. No. Who... Andrew, as he's known, yeah. So, yes. uh, go back to being called Andy, maybe. But, uh, no, when was the last... I mean, I'm trying to think. When was the last... Home draw they got in a cup competition because it just feels like we've been permanently on the road in these cup ties. I'm sure there there has Look, been one.
2: Yeah, they play Liverpool in the League Cup earlier in the season. Yeah, didn't they? Oh,
1: there you go home. then. Yeah, but um, it's Man United yeah,
0: quarterfinal was home, wasn't it?
1: That was Man United, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, maybe it doesn't. It just feels that it's a permanent away FA Cup slash League Cup. But uh, four games against Liverpool, as it will turn out now this season. Mm. You know, that, that's that's hard basket, but. Those are the cards. Dean Smith and his players will have to play them. And, hey, you know, if if they if they rock up at Anfield and, and they're still on this uh, sort of upward curve, then I think there will be, despite the realism, I think there will still be optimism. They can go there and, and give a very good count themselves because, as I wrote on, on Sunday, you know, you can now look at the fixture list with, with actual optimism rather than maybe trepidation and... Uh, That's all on the basis of four wins in five and and most recently Wolves in the FA Cup Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to (laughs) go, I watched In The Loop recently and I thought you were going to go full on difficult, difficult, lemon difficult (laughs) in the middle of that, (laughs) of that rant at one point. Um, But... um, I, I realized after the draw as well I mean obviously we're waiting and it's Liverpool or Cardiff so you can't really win in terms of long trips anyway um but the Cardiff don't uh, pull off an upset we then realized that I booked off that week haven't I because there wasn't a midweek game in the in the schedule so I may uh, I may be dodging the second one to Anfield I'm I'm afraid but <laughs> um but also that's in between uh two very important games for Norwich the trip to Southampton on the Friday night and the home clash with Brentford on the Saturday so um as much as, you know, nobody expected Norwich to go and not Tottenham out two seasons ago um and they managed to do it on penalties. We know that those two games are going to be the ones that take precedence, that are going to have to take precedence because they're huge. And um thankfully, we can now turn attentions to Wednesday night against Crystal Palace with with real enthusiasm, can't we, Connor? Because this has just been the, the, the shift in narrative that has happened in what feels like quite a short space of time. Dean Smith being nominated for Premier League Manager of the Month, four wins in five, all the positive elements to this. All of a sudden, everybody's just, well, I'm sure the fans, players, everyone are absolutely buzzing for Wednesday night already. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much momentum, isn't there, at the
2: moment, in terms of what they're doing. And um, I actually, I I tweeted at the end of of the game on Saturday, but I think there's a real improvement for Norwich as well. Different areas of the the game, we saw them switch to a different formation, a formation which has maybe not been as... Beneficial to them as, as the four four two has been recently, and they performed it very well. They defended excellently. They they were organised. They were tough. Um, they were a bit niggly as well. Maybe not as niggly as people are pointing out, but they they definitely had that that edge to them, which um, they haven't had in, in recent games. So I think there's there's lots of reasons to be to be cheerful. This ultimately was a a clean sheet. I mean, part of the fact it was an FA Cup. Wolves have the the second best defensive record in the Premier League, but behind Manchester City. So they don't really concede goals. Okay, they don't score a huge amount either, but they haven't lost too many games this season, and and for Norwich to go there and put in that level of performance, and I think if we're being truthful, it it probably could have and and, and should have been a lot more than it was because of the chances that that they created. Adamida had had two in particular that that he should have converted. So um, yeah, I think there are lots of reasons to be cheerful and lots of reasons to be optimistic, but ultimately. It's going to hinge on Wednesday, isn't it? Because if they go and lose on Wednesday, it feels like with Manchester City and Liverpool, the road ahead is, is significantly tougher. Um, if they win, then they bounce into those games and really they're kind of free hits for them, aren't they? They can go and be competitive and hope to replicate the performance they showed against Manchester United, um, which everyone was really encouraged by. So, yeah, it, it does feel maybe it's a bit early to say it. I do not I fully want to commit to they've turned a corner, whatever. Uh, I was thinking this on on the way back from uh, from Saturday's game. If you take out that December period where the squad was decimated with COVID injuries, illness, whatever, and you just look at Dean Smith's games, um, taking that period out, a lot of them have been very, very good, if not results and performances. Um, even Spurs, where they lost three 0 I think we we walked away from that saying that they they were pretty encouraging and you know had they've taken their chances and and whatnot. So. Um, I think there's reasons to be cheerful, but actually there's there's tangible reasons why people should be feeling encouraged by what they're seeing at the moment. And um, yeah, a, a win against Palace, I think we, we're going to build it up throughout this podcast. It's such a massive game for Norrie City in, in the grand context of their season. But if they can record another three points, then they're very seriously in the mix to stay up now, games in hand or no games in hand. So um, it's massive and they bounce into it with a lot of confidence, which I think given where everyone was two or three weeks ago, where they were all on the floor and they were all sort of begging for mercy, really. And we saw what we saw at Palace. Um, you know, some of the chanting there, It's um, it feels like the, the season's completely flipped now. So they've got to grasp that while it's there. They've got to use it in the right way. And they've got to start um, on, on Wednesday against Palace because, as I said, if they can win that, then it sets up, I think, a lot of encouragement for the games ahead. And and it would be much needed,
0: really, ahead of, ahead of two of probably the toughest games that you can get in world football. Yeah, there was even a smattering of you're not fit to wear the shirt at Palace, wasn't there? So how how quickly times have changed. Um, we'll part the Palace game just for a, a little bit there. We'll come back to that in part two of the pod. Uh, we'll just have a re- review of the Wolves game first. And then I want to bring you a bit of audio from my chat with Kenny McLean after the match, because um, that was nice to speak to him, obviously the goal scorer as well. Um, but... The last time we spoke to him was on Boxing Day after the 5-0 defeat to Arsenal and he was very, very low in his tone that day. So uh, it's nice that he got to come out and speak uh, about a wing So I was always used to feel a bit sorry for Russell Martin back in the day that he he always seemed to get rolled out after defeats. He never usually got the sort of glory moments and that probably translated into how fans thought of him sometimes, Maybe maybe a bit unfairly. It should be emphasised that Wolves only made one change to their team. They were in very good form. They'd won four of their last five in the Premier League. That change was in goal, bringing John Ruddy in for sar So they went strong. Raul Jimenez was on the bench, OK. Um, Adama Traore had uh, gone out to Barcelona, but he hadn't really been fitting into their plans particularly well this season anyway. So he he goes off to Barcelona with their best wishes, I think. But uh, it's it's fair to say, isn't it, Pad, that they could have been 3-0 up at half-time if Adam Ida had had his shooting boots. but. It was four changes initially, which was McGovern coming in for, for Angus Gunning goal, Byram in for Max uh right back. Um, Sorensen obviously was, was injured. Looks like he's probably going to be out for um, potentially the rest of the month, although Dean Smith hasn't put a definite timeline on that one yet. So you've got Gilmore and McLean coming back into midfield as Connors teed up in a 4-3-3. And uh, Puky also dropped into the bench, but then there was one further late change. Josh Sargent was feeling unwell, so about 50 minutes before kickoff, they had to make the change and bring Pohjanta in on the right. But that first half, Pad, was was a weird one, wasn't it? Because you could feel how disappointed the Wolves fans were, and they are quite. Um, it doesn't take much for them to moan at their team, does it? The the sort of Molyneux faithful, and they weren't happy with what they are seeing at all. And and Norwich really could have. Uh, put their sort of um, uh, foot to the floor a bit better.
1: Yeah, it was strange, given as you rightly pointed out, like you know, they've gone into the game in, in very good form and, and must have been confident. They they've had that momentum as well. Uh, if you look at their league status, they're in the top eight at the minute. So the lethargy and the the lack of intensity. If I was a Wolves fan, I'd be seriously questioning that because you know with the greatest respect, they're probably going to fall away in terms of uh, getting a a European spot by their league status. But um, as Dean Smith said on Friday, yeah, clubs in the Premier League enter it the third round, bit of luck that Norwich aren't getting with the draw perhaps, but not that many games to get yourself to a Wembley final. And then we've seen it recently down the years, you know, the likes of Wigan, um, you know, pulling off upsets that nobody would have really banked on. And uh, if I'm, if I'm a Wolves fan, I'm, I'm very, very unhappy with, with, the meekness of of theirs of the, I mean second half they had a go but they were going to have a go because I'm sure uh, Bruno Lager and his coaching team really got into them at half time. Um But the tone was set in that first half and uh, and Norwich, not that they needed really much invitation, but they did accept the you know the 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 opportunity to get on the front foot. And yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they got got their noses in front right at the end of that first half, but. Um, Adamina in particular, and you look at the highlights again and that, you know, that chance that Rashita puts through and he's got ready yeah. to beat. I mean, you'd have just thought in the frame of mind, that lad must be in after, you know, Everton and West Ham before that. Uh, and even Watford, you know, he he, uh, he got the assist for the final goal that night. The confidence, I mean, it was very, very similar, actually. Same competition. You go back to, you know, his his really headline grabbing arrival in the Norwich first team, which was Preston away. FA Cup third round a couple of seasons ago. And I think his first goal that day was similar. Ball was fed through to him. He's basically got the keeper to beat and unerringly accurate finish. And uh I was expecting the same, you know. But um but that probably typified his overall performance. I, I just think thought he was he was off the levels he'd shown, particularly against Everton, but but Watford and West Ham. You know, his general play, um, he got, got a little bit bullied by the Wolves, his muscular sort of defensive three. But but as was proven, he still had opportunities to, to get himself on the score sheet. And that, you know, not that it, there was too many negatives to take from Norwich's performance individually and collectively on, on Saturday, but that, you know, with as we were discussing prior to the game. You know, games on the horizon where they're probably not only going to go one up top against the likes of Liverpool and United because they're not going to concede the initiative in terms of manpower in the middle of the park to those teams. Sorry, uh, Man City and, and Liverpool. Um, I think that was a bit of an audition for him against Wolves and I don't really think he grasped his opportunity. So, you know, obviously we've got the Palace game in between, but but I think Pookie would probably be, if Dean's only going to go with one up top in, in those two games that come after Palace, I think it's probably going to be Timu now because Adam didn't really put his foot to the floor and and that just reminds me of what Dean Smith did say after the Everton game that going into the Watford game he, he more or less challenged Adam I'm sure privately but also publicly that you've put one decent performance on on the on the ledger at West Ham you follow it up against Everton can you do a third one against Watford well he did but I don't think he probably necessarily added a fourth one really for me uh uh against Wolves and and that's the challenge. That's where he is now. If he wants to to make that leap to becoming an actual bona fide starter week in, week out, his levels can't can't afford to drop. And, and maybe that's a touch harsh because strikers all miss chances, even the very, very best strikers. And you might argue, well, he got himself into those shooting positions. But, you know, he's at this stage of his senior career now where he needs to grab every single opportunity that comes his way. And he had two or three chances there to... Get another goal or two to to his tally, and and just give Dean Smith uh, another nudge that, yep, uh, you can rely on me. I'm your man. I can operate at this level, and I can uh, I can impact positively at the top end of the pitch. So, probably on reflection, a little bit overly harsh to, to single him out. But uh, but ultimately, you know, he's he's in a situation now where he needs to. He needs to really took a chance like that away. You know, when you've got a keeper to beat, um, and all all the all the cards are in your hand. I mean, I I thought looking at the highlights again, he could have even gone round Ruddy. You know, Ruddy yeah. isn't the most mobile of keepers. Uh, certainly not at the age he is now. I think if he'd have just took a touch around him, and then you're slotting it into an empty net. But I, I'm not going to tell Adam either how to score goals. He knows exactly how to score goals. And uh, and hindsight is always a wonderful thing. But it just felt it typified his all round performance, that it, it was a little bit off, a little bit out of kill and it wasn't the the clinical razor-sharp precision that we saw, particularly in that Everton game. It,
0: it's difficult, isn't it, when you're a solo striker up against a back three, and a good back three, they're uh, amongst the best Premier League defences in the league. Max Kilman is like a rugby player, he's huge, isn't he? Connor Cody, we all know, plays for for England, and and Toti, I thought, was pretty impressive on the, on the left as well, and, and seems to have been someone that's really emerged for them so I, it almost came across a bit like he was feeling like well what am I supposed to do up against these three I mean if you look at him statistically it can, in comparison to the games recently when he's got all the praise and he's had Pookie up there with him I made this point in the, in the six things which of course you can read at, at pink and plus $1.99 a month you'll keep hearing us banging on about it um The stats wise, I think Sargent's absence, if you're going back to a 4-3-3, was really felt in terms of helping Eda to not feel more isolated. So um, I've got them in front of me again here. Sargent against Everton won four aerial jewels against Watford. He won eight on Saturday. Pojeta, unsurprisingly, won none. So he wasn't really able to get any of those little flick-ons and things like that to either to allow him to hold things up, but agreed, just his general performance level didn't feel he didn't feel like he was on his level because there were a few times where he could have probably won the ball in the air or held it up, and, he, and his touch just wasn't there and stuff. But with with that first chance, he had the space to open it up and get it onto his right, and either then you've got both options, haven't you? A bit like Dowell had with that chance, which we'll come on to in the second half, where he could have gone bottom right. So. He will know all too well that he should have been scoring um, and that really would have kept things bubbling along nicely for him. But thankfully, this move with Kenny McLean works out. He insists afterwards that it was pre-planned, that it was something they'd worked on in training. And we've we've all seen the evidence that that is what McLean does. He always goes to the near post. He does it defensively as well, doesn't he? So I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt there in terms of believing him. But after half-time, Connor, we all expected... A response, and it and it did come, didn't it? And Norwich had to really dig in, and for a little while, I think up in the press box, we all felt like the the tide had turned, and that they were probably going to find a goal. But hitting the post in particular, they um they pushed hard, didn't
2: they? They did, yeah. Um, and when you think back to that period beyond Podence hitting the post, and Norwich is probably fortunate that he scuffed the effort a little bit, um, because otherwise, I think that that probably would have found the bottom corner. But beyond that, I mean, they didn't construct anything that. Required Michael McGovern to pull out a, a really top save, or that um, caused any undue concern, sort of in front of goal necessarily. Um, it was just a lot of territory, a lot of crosses that, that Norwich dealt with quite well in in in, in the whole. And, and that's why I think when we talk about their performance, we we only really talk about how sort of dogged they were defensively, how sturdy they were, how organised they were. It was. It wasn't just a, a back four defending; it was it was a back ten defending essentially. Um, and even though you know we talk, we talk about Ida quite rightly, there were, there were a couple of stuff that he, he did kind of off the ball, which which helps Norwich a little bit. And I agree, it's a technical point, but I don't think he's, he's getting his body between the ball and the man near enough, and that's that's probably str- help or meaning he struggles with with holding the ball up. And it's a lot harder when you're you're playing up front by yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that period is is the type of one within games when they do take the lead and they are away from home that they're going to have to ride out. And if, if that situation arises again, then then I think they've got a perfect blueprint of how to do that um, based on what they did on Saturday. Um, but I think also what we've seen this season really is when Norwich do take the lead, as a general rule of thumb, they've been pretty good at seeing it out, um, which, you know, it's, it's quite funny considering that either their position in the league or how many wins they've got on the board or whatever. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think when you look at Dean Smith and, and we talk about his improvements, and people ask, well, what's what's the main thing maybe that he's changed? You can you can see a defensive structure, a willingness for for them to work for each other, um, uh, a pragmatism, but but also an understanding of what to do when the when the ball is in a crossing position. Right, Grant Handley takes this position, Ben Gibson takes this position, Brandon Williams does this. It it all feels very um, rehearsed, very natural. So it seems to come natural to them and. You know, I think that's been been shown now by by back-to-back clean sheets, which, you know, forget wins. I mean, the fact that Norwich City haven't conceded a goal in their last two competitive games, I mean, that seemed unthinkable a month or so ago where they couldn't score and uh, and were shipping two or three goals a game. So I think what we're seeing now slowly but surely is Smith, Shakespeare, Liam Bramley as well, all these people on the coaching pitch and and their ideas, I think we're beginning to see them. Um, come to fruition, it's been a very tough period because not only have all the issues that, that we mentioned earlier on in terms of mitigation been happening, but also he he hasn't had a lot of touch time with the players in terms of training. I think they've had, I know they had six days off, but they had a really good portion of time to work on things. They're, they've got uh, a game on Wednesday, which, which is tough, which again makes the period they had beforehand so, so crucial. So um, I think he'll cherish whatever he can get on the training pitch. And I think we're seeing it because when he came in and, and he sat down his first press conference, he said, the goal is to make Norwich City harder to beat. Well, they're, they're tougher to beat now, um, undoubtedly. And I think well, maybe the, the true acid test of that will be against Manchester City and Liverpool, um, against whom they, they really rolled over in, in the feet. In the, well, Liverpool, I thought they played quite well on the opening day, to be fair. Like Manchester City away was very tough, as it is for, for most teams. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how he sets them up and how they play against those two sides. Um, but yeah, I, I think you have more confidence watching a Norwich City side defensively. And there's a lot more structure and uh, a lot more sturdiness about them. And, and there's a real spine to that team now. So yeah, I think they deserve credit because they look well coached. They look capable of keeping teams out. And um, yeah, beyond that shot that hit the post, I didn't really feel that McGovern was, was, was properly tested. They had a few late headers that that went over the bar, but Beyond that, I thought they defended their goal pretty well, to be honest.
0: Yeah, there was a nice attempt, wasn't there, when uh, Podence floated that corner deep and Neves met it on the edge of the box, sort of beckham skulls style, but um, he didn't really get the power behind it. It was a nice connection, but uh, but for, in terms of Norwich, they rode out that storm, didn't they? And then Kieran Dow really should have been scoring. John Rowe sort of starts the move. Lovely one-two with Pookie, and then it's almost like a penalty then. He's got a defender between him and John Ruddy, and it, for all the, given he's left footed you know you think that bottom left corner just looks like it's perfect for him to tuck it away where the bigger gap is but I guess he's tried to sort of do the unexpected and go to the go to his right and then John Ruddy guesses correctly and, and stops him which is shame because that would have been a big moment for him and at that point Norwich had switched to a 4231 had not they and and he was actually getting to play as a 10 so um probably a penny for Todd Cantwell's thoughts given that he's um he's gone out. But we will come back to that in just um a, a little while. Um and, and as we hinted at earlier, six yellow cards. That uh, never happened in Daniel Farker's reign. So over 200 games, 208, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, They got five on six occasions. I, I went and had a look back. And I went back as far as I could to see the last time Norwich had six in a game. And I couldn't find it, basically, in terms of how far back records go. I could only get Uh, sort of accurate across the season, all the way back to the 2011-12 Lambert Premier League season. And I couldn't find a game where they'd got six yellow cards. So, you know, a couple of them for time-wasting from McGovern and Williams, which they're quite happy with. Similarly with Hanley, he just sort of barges John Ruddy to make sure that he's not getting a quick throw out. And, you know, it's those sort of little street-wise things, which are good. Kenny McLean um, just took one for the team, essentially didn't need to to stop an attack. Lisa Malou and, and Norman were, I think, a little bit more, uh, annoyed that they got booked for for challenges, but both of them were physical. You know, Norman was stopping a man getting past him. Lise Malou was battling in midfield. So I think, although you don't want to sort of be proud of getting six yellows. I think in the circumstances, Norwich fans have been been quite pleased to, to see it. So, as I say, one of those men was Kenny McLean, and I spoke to him after the match, and it was nice to nice to be able to speak to him about a win. Please, we've got the opportunity to speak to you, Kenny, because I think you were the you came out after the five nil on Boxing Day, didn't you? And yeah. that must be really difficult for players to speak on a, on a day like this. And this shows you how quickly football can change, can't you? So, how, how difficult is it to sort of keep headstrong when in the tough times?
3: Um, I mean, we've all. We've all been in tough times, we've all, you know, in football and in life and, uh, and none more so in the last couple of years. And we, we need to remind ourselves what we're doing and we're doing something we love. We, we need to continue to work as hard as we can. And, you know, we know that we weren't doing well enough. We know we weren't, you know, pleasing everybody and the fans were disappointed and so were we. That's, that's just the way it was. And But we knew that we had the character and character is a big thing, I think, that got us out of this. You know, the character and the quality. You know that determination we showed a real togetherness because it wasn't a case of pointing fingers at each other it was just a case of you know looking at yourself in the mirror and realising that can I do more and, and everybody I'm sure at the time would have says yes I can and we're doing more now so we need to um, this is this is a marker for us this is you know this is the, the minimum that we need to show that hard work that commitment that desire because we know we've got quality we can get us this. Yeah.
0: Following on from what you were saying about the set pieces in training as well, the club put out the sort of usual video on Thursday and it was showing your pressing work, you know, when the three go into the opposition half and stuff. Is that very much sort of a good example of the things that Dean and, and Shaky have brought to the club since they've been here?
3: Yeah well as I say, one goal, one is the game today because of that work that we're doing behind the scenes, because of that defensive unit that we've got, we defend from the front, everybody knows their jobs exactly. You know, we'll analyse the team that we're playing against and where we want them to have the ball, where we don't want them to have it. That's just something we do from the Monday to Friday. You know, nobody really sees that except the little clips that you see on social media. But, you know, we work so hard to to do the right things and to put ourselves in the best place to go into games on a Saturday. And, you know, it's shown now because, as I say, defensively we've been we've been solid. Um, last couple of games, clean sheets and, you know, thing, things are looking good
0: back at Carrow on Wednesday night the fans were excellent in the Everton game weren't they how, how much do you guys need them to be just like that and more I suppose the same as you guys you guys know you're doing well but you've still got to find another gear probably
3: yeah I was I was in the house for the Everton game so I've not been um, with the fans at Carrow for, for a while but uh, I'm looking forward to it you can see them travelling their numbers again today and you know listen, we know they're going to get behind us regardless but when we're on this run when belief's there you know there's a bit of optimism everybody's pulling the one direction it's going to be it's going to be good. Wednesday, well, we need to put a performance on it actually. Support.
0: And just finally, you scored a rather famous
3: header against Manchester City uh, a couple of years ago. Warming up for next Saturday? Let's see. Um, no, listen, we're in, a, we're in a good mood. We'll, we'll look forward to Wednesday. We don't look forward to Saturday. I mean, it's, you know, the games come thick and flash. You to take them game by game, um, just get as many points as we can. But you know, hopefully, you know, I can turn up Wednesday and maybe get another one. man? Thanks, Enjoy you. it. Cheers, Thank you.
2: you. We live Norwich City, the builder. Right
1: the passion
2: the drama the last minute winners the debate that's why we've created Pink
1: and Plus Plus. the app that takes you beyond the headlines with exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered (laughs) subscribe today, Pink and Plus
0: stay ahead of the game
2: download now on the App Store and on Google Play
0: Right, before we move on to Wednesday night and Palace then, I just wanted to reflect a bit on Todd Cantwell's exit. Um, we saw him make his debut for, for Bournemouth Sunday night as they were embarrassed uh, by losing to National League, Boreham Wood at home, 1-0. Uh, Cantwell was chucked on at half-time as they tried to chase things. That's going to put a lot of pressure under Scott Parker, given that their promotion form has has wobbled in, in recent months. But, but Pad, just to sort of wrap off Cantwell and then Hopefully, we're probably not going to be talking about him again until the summer. Um, it, it's just good to get it sorted, really, isn't it? And uh, and for that issue to not have to be a distraction for Dean Smith or the rest of the squad.
1: Uh, yeah, and that's my my take on it. Is is what it means for Norwich now that you have a player who, without reopening uh, all the various strands, both both the actual strands and the ones that uh, you know people want to. Uh, hypothesise about might not necessarily be the case about Todd Cantwell, Norwich City this season particularly, but maybe, you know, maybe the last two or three seasons, really. Um, you know, we kept talking about the high water point of maybe that first part of the last Premier League season. Yes, OK, he, he did have an, an impact uh, in the, the Championship title winning season, but the Todd Cantwell who was, you know, doing his surfing celebrations, scoring goals against Chelsea uh, and Manchester United in the FA Cup. We haven't really seen that guy um, for a long, long time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Not all of them at Todd's door, but, you know, he's part of the situation that ended with him departing for Bournemouth on deadline day. And for me, I think that's a massive thing for Norwich now, that Norwich collectively is a group, Dean Smith, his coaches, the players who are here, as we have seen. Most recently at Wolves, you know, they are united. They are together. They have a common cause. They're all rallying behind the flag of trying to keep Norwich in the Premier League. And, you know, Todd Cantwell, for whatever reason, wasn't part of that. Um, And that's not apportioning blame in any direction. It's the facts of the matter. Look at the amount of minutes he played under Smith and Farker this season. So you've got essentially uh, an option there who isn't part of it. They don't think he's going to be part of it. He doesn't really want to be here. That much is clear. Good. Shake hands. You go and have a little tilt at Bournemouth and try and prove yourself there, and what will be will be. There's a buy option, obviously, Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he ends up at Bournemouth uh, beyond the summer. He could well come back. If he does, you know, Norwich will activate the clause, but then – sorry, the the one-year additional in his contract, but then I think it's pretty clear uh, they will look to sell him again in this coming summer if it's not to be Bournemouth. So, I think, essentially – Uh, that is the end of Todd Cantwell at Norwich City for the foreseeable, wherever else his career takes him and whether he ends up back here towards the end of his playing days. But um, if he's not going to be part of it, then why have him around the place? Um, And that's, from Norwich's point of view, I think a very good development. So now Dean Smith has a a set of fully focused players who all want to be here fundamentally and all want to try and keep Norwich in the division. And, And obviously Todd Cantwell would have wanted to do the latter, But ultimately, he wasn't going to play a role in it. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see from afar how he gets on at Bournemouth. Just on a personal level, the lad, you know, has to get his career going. And if if this is a springboard for him to do that, then good luck to him. Because, uh, you know, he is still a very talented young man um, and a very, you know, very intelligent, uh, very sharp individual who who knows without being told that his career has basically gone down a cul-de-sac. And only he can revive it and get it going again. Don't don't look in any other direction or, or feel that you know you're being hard, harshly treated or you know you haven't got a fair crack of it. It's a fresh start. It's a new chapter. Go make the most of it, and then we'll see. We'll see which path he takes from the summer and onwards. But uh, it had to happen. Norwich wanted it to happen. Cantwell wanted it to happen, and. Obviously, it took right until the end of deadline day, but uh, eventually it got done. So, um, you know, good luck to the lad. You know, go go and prove what a good player you are.
0: Yeah, and there's been loads of that on Pink and Plus. Chris Sutton spoke about him. You and Roberts both in their columns. So, uh, do go and check them out. We've had a sort of look back on on Todd's career. Um, so we can part that one for for the time being. Uh, one Norwich loney who there's a bit more of a positive story, and I'll come to you on that, Connor. In as we're mentioning Pink and Plus, you had a very nice. Uh, scouting report and an interview with Bali Mumba from last weekend, um, Peterborough through to the fifth round as well, and are at home to Manchester City. So I think we can be pretty sure that that one's going to be on on television. So um, yeah, well, what did you what did you sort of learn? It's uh, still early days, of course, in his loan, but what, what did you learn about Bali's opportunity there? Yeah, so I went to watch him against Sheffield
2: United. Uh, obviously, the week when, when Norwich City weren't involved, they, they lost that game two 0 I think the context you need to add around that is. Peterborough had about six players out maybe crucially um Siriki Dembele who subsequently went to join Bournemouth but yeah. I think actually the uh, the the posh owner, who's fairly outspoken with, with these things as we know <laughs> um, yeah exactly um uh, as subsequently said that uh Dembele actually came up to him 20 minutes before kick off and said I, I want to join Bournemouth so not not ideal um, timing around that for example <laughs> but um yeah so so they play uh, a free sort of like a 3-5-2 really but essentially with wing back so Mumbo was was on the right. He let Swift switch to the left, as we've seen him do with with Norwich on occasion. Um, and really, I think the the main takeaway is is probably how far left he has to go. I think there's there's clearly very a very good player in there. Certainly going forward, there was one burst in the first half where he kind of beat two players with a run into the box, which was superb. Um, really good in tight spaces. Very technical but you can see why he's been sent to Peterborough because he needs to work, as he said to me after the game on his one v one defending and uh, where best to do that than a place where he's going to have to do a lot of one v one defending because posh don't or didn't certainly in the game that I watched didn't have a lot of possession, really struggled to create anything from an attacking perspective um, and he was really tested. So it does feel like a a good place for his education simply because Norwich want him to improve on a certain thing. and, And that is a place where he is going to improve on that certain thing, I think. And, uh, there are still little bits and pieces around the edges. I thought he was a bit slow to track back at points. Um, but beyond that, I think it's, it's clear to see to me that there's there's clearly potential and I think we've all thought that whenever we've watched Bali Mumba play. And ultimately you frame this debate around Max Aarons because that's where it's heading um, because people will look at Barley Mumba as someone who who can step into that. Um, obviously Sam Byron fit again and, and I thought he played well on Saturday from an Norwich perspective actually. But uh, yeah mumba i think he's he's got a bit taller he's got not not massively but he he's he's obviously filled out a little bit as well which i think helps and i saw someone who's um, a lot closer to the frame of max Aarons than i did last season for example so i'd say everything's moving in the positive uh, in a positive direction um i think he's he's got a lot of minutes there now i think when i looked at him he's he's actually played more minutes for peterborough than he has for norwich so that goes to show um kind of the exposure that he's getting over there he's got darren ferguson who has obviously been around the block. Experienced. He compared him to Daniel Farker, actually, in terms of how he wants his um, wing backs to play. And uh, you know, it's I, I, I see it as a very positive move. I must admit, I wasn't I wasn't blown away or anything like that when I went to watch him. But I, I saw a, a young player who's in who's in a, an important phase of his development. And if he can have a really good second half of the season, which ultimately culminates with Peterborough staying up and him contributing and putting in good performances. And, you know, we obviously hope this isn't the case, but if Norwich do get relegated, then I think there's a really good championship option there. If not, then I think you've probably got a circumstance where, similarly to Sam McCallum, he's proven that he can probably do it in the championship. And then it would be about trying to get him a move at maybe a a, a more established championship club, I I would say. So, uh, yeah, all the signs are positive. Um, I, I felt quite encouraged by watching him and. Um, yeah, if he can if he can improve on his defensive side, then Norwich City will have a very very well rounded fullback, um, albeit one, I guess similar to Max really, who uh, who is who's quite small. So um, yeah, lots to like, lots to work on, but I, I think for where he is right now, Peterborough is a good fit for him.
0: Yeah, as much as perhaps sadly, Todd Cantwell probably isn't going to be part of the future at Norwich City. I think we're all expecting that Barley Mumba probably will be one season one way or another and still uh, very much has got time on his side. While we've been recording, actually, an interesting little line about a a Norfolk boy, Dan Ashworth, uh, has quit as Brighton's technical director and is supposed to be going in as Newcastle's director of football. So he's basically going to get to play real life football manager, isn't he, (laughs) with uh, uh, as much money to spend as he wants. But um, he was with Norwich. He was on Norwich's books as as a youth player, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then he sort of came up through the ranks as... Um, he was I think he was technical director at West Brom when AD Boothroyd was there and he was sort of linked to Boothroyd for quite a while worked for the FA so uh, an interesting little line for for a local guy there right let's look ahead to this massive game on Wednesday night then because we we know that in conjunction with that very helpful result on Saturday and what looked like close to hurricane conditions as um, Roy Hodgson started with a Nil-nil draw at Burnley, which is pretty much perfect for, for Norwich. There was a really funny interview on the BBC of them interviewing Hodgson after the game and, and the reporter just saying, are you wondering why you've bothered to come back to football today while he's being absolutely battered by the wind? It almost doesn't look safe. The advertising board behind him is wobbling around and things and he saw the funny side of it all. But anyway, that means Norwich are still outside of the relegation zone for the time being. And um, We will see what the midweek action brings. But clearly, get that win against Palace – and they are going to be in, in a fantastic position. Tuesday night, Watford are at West Ham and Burnley are at home to Manchester United. So hopefully they will still be outside of the relegation zone by the time we kick off at Carrow Road, 7.45 on Wednesday night. So, Pad, I think we can we can safely assume Angus Gunn comes back in in goal. Max Aarons comes in for Byron uh, right back. But then the... The real interesting element is, is the midfield, I suppose, isn't it? And whether they go back to the four four two, whether it's four three three, 3 3 or what. But let's start in, in the engine room now that we've got Norman and Gilmore back in the mix. What do you think uh, is... We're speaking ahead of the presser, of course, in terms of fitness updates and stuff. But as we sit here, what do you think is the most likely mix to be in, in central midfield?
1: Honestly, uh, normally you do get a sense of where he might go with it. I, I think... You know, he might give a few clues away at his presser, which you alluded to there, Dave, on Tuesday morning. Um, for me, well, ultimately, it's obvious to say, but it's it really what happens in his central midfield is completely dependent on the setup. Whether it, whether he wants to go back to the the two, essentially, with with two wider players, which subject to him being okay illness wise, I think would be Sergeant one side, Rashid to the other. They they were key elements in those league wins over Everton and Watford, so. In my mind, it's it's a no-brainer. If Sergeant's fit, he, he comes back in, and and then it's two essentially options. Um, and I just get the sense probably when Push comes to shove, he probably he would go that route. Um, they, I mean, they went with the three. It was interesting actually that uh, that Palace debacle, if you want to call it that, was a three with Gilmore, McLean, and Lise Malou, and they were completely um, overran that day. Uh, muscularity of, of Palaces. I think it was Will Hughes and Koyate that day, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Will um, Hughes
0: looked like Zidane all of a sudden.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, numerically they, they should have had enough numbers in there, but they they just looked lightweight in comparison. So, so I'm sure that'll be at the back of Dean Smith's mind. Allied to, as I say, the switch to the the four four two, if we want to label it that, has really underpinned you know these recent Premier League offerings. And if that's the case, then we're looking for two central midfielders. Norman, I think, comes in straight away. Uh, I think that was that was kid gloves to, to not start him at walls, but then give him a good thirty minutes. Uh, that smacked of uh, basically just getting him back in the groove, getting his rhythm back to a degree with these games on the horizon. I think, uh, I think by common consent, I don't know anybody, fan or media alike, if you lined up all Norwich's available options in midfield. Um, and, and permed either a two or a three, Matthias Norman is in that because he is arguably their best midfield option. So he comes back in for me. And then then it gets very interesting because does he does he go with Gilmore, does he go with McLean or does he go with Lise Malou? And it's it's honestly hard hard to sort of anticipate where Smith's head is at with that because all three of them individually and paired with Norman maybe offer slightly different things compared to the other two in, in that equation. So, you know, if, if Norman is your anchor, your ballast, um, and then you're looking for a blend, and you saw how physical Palace were uh, back in December, I think I think that probably rules out Gilmore for me from starting the game. Um, and then it's a very, very interesting development. Then it co- probably comes down to the balance and who can operate on the other side of Norman. Uh, Lise Malou has certainly picked up the... the, the the sense that he, he needed to add that aggressiveness to his game and obviously he got booked on Saturday uh, and you don't want him to start accumulating yellow cards, but it does show you that, you know, that element of, of what a central midfielder is all about playing against Premier League teams, which he didn't really have up to probably these recent games. He seems to have harnessed that. Now, whether that's him getting to grips with the, with what English football and the Premier League is all about or whether Smith and Shakespeare have had a word with him and said he needed to, to add that to his game, um, but he's he's firmly in the in the conversation for me now, whereas before this run, you'd have put him to the side and said, when push comes to shove now, I don't think you want to be starting pierre lees Malou because you won't get what you need in terms of the, the off-the-ball work. Um, but we all know how much he likes McLean, and McLean is obviously the, 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 the match winner at the weekend. So, I don't know, right here, right now, if it's going to be a two, I think it's probably going to be for me. I'm not saying Smith will go this route, but I'd probably go McLean and I'd probably go Norman. And, and then you've got Gilmore and Lise Malou to come into the mix. That would be a bit harsh on Lise Malou, but I think it's more a reflection of how much he likes McLean in there. A little bit like Farker did, you know, his, his impact, his influence, his personality on the pitch. I think you get all that with McLean. We know there's elements to his game that maybe aren't quite Premier League standard week in, week out, but for what is a massive game in the context of Norwich season from this point, you need big players, you need big characters and big personalities. And Kenny McLean is definitely all of those three. So I think he'll want McLean on the pitch and he'll certainly want Norman on the pitch. So I think that's probably subject to Dean Smith throwing in any other curveballs between now and kickoff. If he's going with the four, for me, Rashica, Norman, McLean and Josh Sargent.
0: Excellent. Right. Well, I'm going to go four four two. Norman and Lisa Malou in the middle for me. Rashid's are obviously no debate at all there. He's just becoming such a reliable little player, isn't he? And you know, both those chances he set up for Ida. He also won the free kick for the for the goal as well, didn't he? I think he is he is really finding a nice seam of consistency. In, and it's been quite impressive how quickly he's found that after coming back from injury as well. Sergeant, given what I said in the first half of the pod, definitely comes back in on the right as long as he's as long as he's fit enough. And, and that may be harsh on McLean. It is harsh on McLean, but I think Kenny is much more is going to be needed against Manchester City and Liverpool. I much more expect him to be in the starting lineup there, particularly if they go to a three at the back. But I th- I'd go into it with saying, look, Norman's got an hour, then you've got the final half an hour, so he's just as important to this game um, as as Norman. But the thing that's caught my imagination a little bit was literally dying seconds of the game, Norman threads that lovely ball through into the left channel to Pukki, clean through on goal. And Pukki just doesn't quite squeeze the shot past Kilman, does he sort of cuts back onto his right rather than hit it first time. And possibly you could argue that Pukki should have been doing better, but just the instinct from Norman to hit a classy pass like that. I think Norwich want to get on the front foot straight away. If they can get in front in this match with how up for it, the crowd will be. I think that will then be difficult for Palace to come, to come back into it. So, it's maybe a bit bold, um, and it will depend on on how Dean Smith is reading Norman's sort of uh, stage of his recovery, because he is only just back into things, and whether he thinks he's ready for that. But for me, I'd be bold, I'd be front foot, I'd be looking to get at least a goal ahead uh, up to that first hour. You're not going, you're probably not going to pay him for the f- full ninety minutes, and then get c- Kenny McLean on, knowing that. All those things you've teed up there, Pad, you've got Mr. Reliable, haven't you? He's going to get stuck in in the aerial battles. He's going to be useful in both boxes. And he was very energetic and, and decent with the ball on on Saturday as well. So it's good to have some options. It's a good we can have this debate. And it was really interesting, I thought, in the training video the club put out before the Wolves game. They were showing the the pressing work, weren't they, where I think it was 10 v 10 and uh, three attacking players had to go into the opposition half and press the ball while that, that those 10 players tried to keep it. When you've got 10 players missing from training and stuff, as they did not that long ago, that sort of proper intensive work must be almost impossible. So it feels like they're moving in a very big direction. And of course, if they get this win, then they really are going to be running, um, running hot. Uh, Connor, what's your reading of it?
2: Yeah, uh, I would agree. I uh- I kind of put this question to Dean on, on on Friday before this game in terms of having players back and the options to to shift formations. I think it's a really interesting debate now because I think the evidence shows if Billy Gilmore's available, then Dean Smith would like to pick him. So I wouldn't completely take him out of this debate either. Um Palace player 4-3-3 as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if 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 Dean Smith went with a 4-3-3 but i think to be honest i think most fans would be disappointed with that given what we saw with with the 4-4-2 against everton and watford but i think this is a slightly different game um given palace are, are physical they're robust we we all know what they like to do they, they play a lot more football under patrick Vieira than they did under roy Hodgson as well so um he may feel like he wants to 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 add them up i'm not entirely sure what he'd do then at the top end of the pitch whether as we spoke about earlier he'd, he'd stick with Vida or if he went for pooki um I'd personally like him to stick with a 4-4-2 if I'm being completely honest. I think then, as we said, you have the options later on to change it. Um, and if I was going to pick a two, I'd probably go for for, for Norman and McLean. I think they're probably the most likely to, given what we've seen from him again so far, which is that he he wants that spine of the team to contain those leaders that he, he leans on so heavily, the likes of Hanley, Gibson, um, obviously McLean as well, Puki. I'd, I'd put into that category as well. Usually it'd be Tim Crawling goal, wouldn't it? But it's not going to be the case on on Wednesday. So yeah, I I would like to see him go four for two. I've got a funny feeling he might go four three three um just because of the midfield options he has available. And I think he'll want to get Norman McLean and Gilmore all into the same team. So I think it's really intriguing. Um because ultimately if he does do that and Norwich lose the game and he doesn't play the 442, people are going to be be pointing that and go, well why didn't you just use the formula that won the last two games but by the same token you know, I, I think there is a debate. It certainly was the case against West Ham that if you play against a free in midfield, you can get overran a little bit. So um, I'm really intrigued to see what he does and how he approaches it. I hope he goes for the four four two, and like you say, Dave is brave and bold with it. Um, my instinct says maybe he'll look to be a bit more pragmatic given the the significance of the game for Norwich City and uh, and go for the four three three. But as you both said, nice to have this debate um, considering the options that they have back and uh, and available.
0: The front three suits Sergeant nicely as well, doesn't it? It's kind of the perfect place for him. So, I, yeah, it's really interesting. As we teed up there, he's got a delicate decision to make. But for me, I think Lise Malou is is maybe almost a little bit underrated now in terms of his importance. I, I wouldn't have him out of my, my 11 personally. And, and Gilmore, I thought, you know, he, there were good moments in there. Um, second half, I thought he basically looked like he was running on empty. So that's a reminder that he was just coming back from from injury and the game felt to me like it was totally passing him by before he got substituted. But there are a few moments in the first half, given that the thing, the main thing Gilmore is offering you is his passing ability. where There was one that stuck in my mind with Brandon Williams because I was doing him as our pl- player watch where Williams wanted to pass to him and he just wasn't moving into space. He, he almost seemed to be running behind Wolves players instead of offering for a simple ball. So for me, I I struggle to see how he has got much of a role to play against Man City or Liverpool, either because of his defensive side of his game. I still don't think that's convincing enough. Um, but we all still know there's a great deal of talent in there. So it's kind of, I'm kind of trying to reserve judgment on Gilmore and see this as a as a second coming for him. It's just the opportunity for him to start showing what he's really about, but um for me, personally, I, I, he's not in my starting eleven on Wednesday night, and I struggled to see it against Man City and Liverpool, but I, I'm very happy to be, <laughs> to be proven wrong. Um, it's good to see all these assets available to Dean Smith, which I think tees up a really exciting game. So, boys, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll, of course, have it all covered for you on the Pink and Plus app. If you're not already subscribed, then please do check it out. You still get your first 30 days for free. It's only 1.99 a month, or you can pay... For the year up front at 19.99 to get a bit of a discount of about four quid as well. But we've got we've had loads of good stuff on there. We're really pleased with it, and uh, we'll keep uh, keep ramping things up in the months ahead. And thankfully, we've got some real good Premier League meat to get our teeth into in the months ahead. Hopefully, with plenty of good things to talk about as well. But for now, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch up with you again on Wednesday night.